Hello and welcome to this podcast. I'm Francis Cini from GlobalNet21 and Enfield Voices. And this is a podcast based on an interview we did some time ago now with Perry Walker. Perry is a person who's been interested for a long time in democracy. He believes, like many of us do, that our representative system, although important, is not fit for purpose all the time. It doesn't engage people enough. And so he's been interested in seeing how you can set up assemblies and citizens' juries um, to try and engage people in a more deliberative way. And we're going to talk to him in this podcast about his experience in this, experience that he's had in this country, I think in Ireland, and also in Canada as well. So I hope you listen to this podcast because I think Perry's experience is important for any of us who are designing deliberative approaches to democracy, like citizens' assemblies in areas like climate change today, when these sort of discursive, deliberative discussions are important. Perry, thank you for joining us today and for taking part in this. Can I, can I first ask you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what's made you have such an interest in deliberative democracy? There's a German uh, political philosopher called Jürgen Habermas, and um, I understand almost nothing of what he writes, but I did understand one thing, which is that people should be able to take part in discussions of the issues that concern them. And that's really driven me. Oh, so it, it, you, you, it wasn't personal experience. It was something that you read about and that really sort of burnt you with a sort of passion to get involved. I think so. And perhaps that's a reaction to my 1950s uh, upbringing when um, children were supposed to be seen and not heard. Well, I can't imagine that you were ever just seen and not heard. Um, anyhow, okay, well, tell us about deliberative democracy because, you know, I've used the word, people use the word, but some people just wonder what it means. I mean, what is the different types of deliberative democracy and how do they differ from each other? What are they and what is it? Okay, so... Um, first of all, I mean, deliberation... Um, you could contrast it with um, debate. So uh, the bait bit of debate is the same as the word in a battle. So a debate is a battle between two sides who are trying to win. Uh, good deliberation is uh, a dance between people who are trying to understand each other, people who are helping each other to form their own views um, and to know more about the situation. So that, that's deliberation. Then, um, what are the different forms of deliberation? Well, um, citizens' assemblies are in the vogue, and I can say more about that in a moment. Uh, a citizens' assembly is a group of people who are chosen to be representative of the population at large. They're a microcosm, or in the jargon, they're a mini-public. And they are given the time and space to find out about, interview, interview experts, discuss, come to their own views, about some issue. So that's a citizen's assembly. A citizen's jury, very simply, 
is a smaller version of a citizens' assembly. So an assembly tends to have 50 members or more. A citizens' jury tends to have 12 to 24 members, and perhaps usually meeting for less time. So that's those are both random collections of citizens who are representative of the rest of us. So the rest of us can think, well, if we'd all had time to think about it, this is the conclusion we'd come to. They've done the job for us. So that's assemblies and juries. Then um, the other stream would probably be um, a bunch of stakeholders, a meeting of stakeholders. So these are people with a stake in the issue in question. And that stake might be because they're decision makers, but it might also be because they're affected by what's going on or they have information about it. So that's a very different way of, of, of choosing the people who come. Okay, let, let, let's look at those. I mean, I gather that some citizens' assemblies and some experiments in deliberative democracy have been done by national governments in Ireland, for example, debate over abortion in Iceland and so on. Um, is that correct? And that, is that where a lot of the experiments have happened? Uh, yes. So um, I think the best known ones are in our Ireland, as you say, and uh, in Iceland, where uh, an assembly redrafted the constitution. But, but for me, the starting point um, of the interest in assemblies goes back to 2004. And it was a province in Canada, British Columbia, uh, that commissioned a citizen uh, assembly to review the, the voting system. And one of the most interesting developments in the UK was last year when two select committees of the House of Commons uh, commissioned a citizens' assembly on the funding of social care. So they are starting to spring up um, at all sorts of levels. Okay, well, let, let's look at social care in a minute. But um, it seems to me, I mean, you, you mentioned social care, and obviously a lot of that takes place at the local level. And it seems to me some of these experiments in deliberative democracy are very, very relevant to local democracy, to local areas, local authorities. Um, and you must be sometimes as put off as many people, and I know our sites are, in the way councils are run, where there's so much bickering and adversarial politics going on, almost as if they were a mini House of Commons. And, that's not a good way, is it, to come to really considered decisions? No. Um, I mean, if, so councils could Im indeed improve the way that they ran, they ran themselves so that they, their discussions were less like debates and more delib deliberative. So you could improve the way that um, councils ran. Um, you could um, convene meetings that were partly um, made up of politicians and partly of citizens. There was one citizen assembly, I've forgotten which, which did that, and it gained extra legitimacy, which is a really important word, because the politicians were part of it and could see that, that, that could see the, understand the process uh, and see that it was, that citizens could um, indeed get to grips with complex issues. Or you could um, have bunches of, um, uh, of citizens. But the question then is, how is that accepted by the political system? Because the danger is that it some, becomes something that is outside the system and then gets ignored by the politicians. 
Well, they, I mean, lots of local authorities hold public engagement meetings, sure. but very often those can go wrong, can't they? Because you get the usual suspects, you get the party political bickering going on in those meetings. I mean, you had an example of that, didn't you? Or you know of an example of that? Was it in Buckinghamshire? That's right. So um, this is a useful case study, I think, for, for you and me and everyone else who's listening to have a think about. So in 2007, um, people in this village in, in Buckinghamshire called Wing um, were bothered about all the traffic that was go through, going through their village, thought it was dangerous. And they started campaigning for a bypass because that was the, the only solution they knew about. And the council thought, God, it's going to be really expensive. Let's see what alternatives there are. And so they got um, some experts to uh, review those alternatives. And actually, the bypass came pretty low down whatever criteria you used. And so then they held a public meeting um, to present these findings. And, and, you know, the public meeting is one of the few tools that we have for citizens to engage with the political process locally, and it's not very good. And in this case, it made things a lot worse. So when um, the results of the expert panel were presented, people didn't believe it. They thought they were being fobbed off. And um, I talked to the bloke who chaired the meeting and he said that when some um, people from a nearby village said at this meeting that they were worried about a bypass because it would displace traffic to their village, he feared that he was going to witness ethnic cleansing. It was extremely unpleasant. Now, let's, let's pull back from that a second and think about what might have been um, a better approach. So in that case, I think a citizens' assembly might have worked in the same way that it worked in Ireland in relation to abortion. So if the population of, of Wing as a whole had seen that some of their number, people who were like them, had spent a lot of time on this, had, re had reviewed the facts, and had come to their own conclusions, I think they, they might, they, the population, the villagers, sorry, would have accepted those um, findings in a way that they did not find accept them for, when they came from the expert panel. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Okay, so it's a different type of meeting which has more participation, more consensus. It doesn't allow for the blame game to take place. Okay, so let, let's look at how, how, you, how a local authority might do it. Now, one big issue, and you mentioned it, is social care. And I know that um, the Innovation of Democracy project in 2019 has made money available for eight to 10 local authorities to pilot citizen assemblies. But what if other local authorities wanted to do it? How about Enfield, where we are now, or any local authority? They wanted to set up a citizen assembly, a jury, or whatever, on social care. And they wanted to say, look, we don't have extra money. We don't have extra money for social care. We've got to find some ways of delivering better than we do within our existing resources. So please don't bicker over money. Let's find different ways of doing it. How would you set it up? Well, I'll, I'll, let me say to start with that I'm not sure I would use a citizens assembly um, in that case, but I'll come to, on to what it might look like if you, if you had one. So um, I live in Herefordshire, um, Francis, and um, uh, it's, a, it's a poor area. Uh, it's, it's particularly seriously affected by cuts in local authority funding. Um, a lot of social care takes an increasingly high proportion of the budget. Um, and I've thought a lot about how best to bring people together to try and improve things. 
personally, uh, for this one, um, unlike with Wing in Buckinghamshire, I would go for um, a meeting of stakeholders because I think it's about redesigning the system. It's about changing the behavior of people who are uh, part of that system. And it's about bringing in people who are not part of the system, but should be. And um, I think bringing those different people together so that they connect with each other, um, they can deliver Valentines to each other that say, I will do something different if you do something different. Um, so it, they can redesign the system between them. I think that is the way to go. So it's not like a general public meeting, it's a design meeting with specific purpose in mind. Okay, so in, in the case of social care, you would have a stakeholders meeting. How would you recommend to the local authority they go around or go about choosing those stakeholders? Well, the, the criteria are the ones I mentioned before. Uh, it's who makes things happen, who is affected by what happens, who has good information. Um, so um, the, the type of stakeholder meeting I know best is called a, a future search conference. And, you know, it's expensive. It involves 64 people from um, uh, eight stakeholder groups, eight of each. Uh, and ideally, it lasts over two or three days, although you can be imaginative and break that up into a number of evenings or something. And um, it has a well-defined process that takes people from the past through the present into the shared future they want, they want to see. Um, uh, did I answer the question? Yeah, sure. But I mean, you would get stakeholders. How would you stop them? Or, you know, maybe you would get councillors in as well. I don't know. But how would you stop them bickering about money and saying, oh, the government's not giving them enough money, nasty Tories, nasty, nasty, nasty socialist council. Look, we don't want you to do that. We want you to concentrate on how we can get, with the, with the resources we've got, better community care. We're not fighting over resources for your groups. It's not there. We want to look at different ways. How would you set the agenda so that could happen? Well, first of all, it's the basis on which you invite people so that they know um, at the outset um, that, that the, the topic is what you can do within existing resources. Secondly, I, I think that this bickering you talk about comes from, you know, the, the, the design or lack of design of, uh, say, a public meeting. And, for example, a future search conference has many less plenaries. A lot of the discussions happen in small groups. So the the opportunities for grandstanding, for having a, having a rant, uh, you know, are simply much lower, even if that's what you wanted to do. And in these meetings, I've never found anybody who wanted to have a rant because they've been set up to encourage people to be constructive. And once people start to be constructive, that sets the tone, the culture for, for that event. Okay, so, I mean, where will people go for advice to design this properly so you could avoid the negative things that you just mentioned doesn't happen if the design is right? Sure. So, um, the Future Search Conference, as I, as I mentioned, um, could be expensive, but the principles can be adopted. And so, um, there are books about Future Search Conferences. Uh, there's um, a website with many case studies. Um, it is part of a, a family of methods called whole system methods. There's plenty of material on those. Um, you know, I can get, send you some links, Francis, that you can um, pass on to other people. 
um, there is a lot of material. Okay, well, maybe we could get that from you and, sure. and Tom. By the way, someone just put us put up that tomorrow night at Portcullis House, there's a meeting on a citizen assembly to break the Brexit uh, mm. deadlock. That's a big, big ask. And uh, sure. I know several MPs, including Jess Phillips, is involved in that. But back to the local area, I mean, when you have... Um, when you have a, a, a deliberative assembly, like you said, you some you know people may not know what to do first of all, so they may want some advice at the meeting. Now, sometimes you bring in case studies, don't you, and experts? And how would you go about choosing those? Because that could be vital, because you might get the wrong ones if you're not careful. Well, let me just use that question, Francis, an excuse to bring in a slightly different process. So um, a citizen's jury is obviously uh, modelled on, on a legal jury. There are um, things that operate like a jury, but without a random selection of people. So there was a commission called Banwaste in Newcastle, which operated much like a jury, but what they called it was a select committee. So they gave themselves a bit of legitimacy by borrowing that phrase from, from Parliament. And the people who were on the committee, the commissioners, um, they were not randomly selected. And, and that, by the way, reduces the cost, because a lot of the cost comes from um, market researchers identifying a cross-section. Um, and a lot of these juries, I think, do best when they give the jurors, commissioners, whatever they are, assembly members, influence over who they, who, who they call. So if, um, say, the local authority has chosen a bunch of witnesses, there is a danger then that the jurors feel they've been spoon-fed or, or possibly influenced. Um, and so it's really important that the jurors can say, well, okay, that's really helpful. Now we've heard from five witnesses. We think there's a real gap in the process. And we'd like to hear from these two other people or two others, other um, forms of expertise. Um, and that's if you have a jury or, or an assembly that's running over, say, several weekends, that gives you the flexibility to um, identify those witnesses and bring them along at a later session. So you don't actually go into the assembly, the jury, or whatever it is, code. You would say to the people involved, the people who are coming, uh, help with the preparation, help with the setup. You would ask them beforehand, you know, what sort of experts you would like, what sort of case studies they would want, what help they would want. You would do a lot of pre-jury or pre-assembly preparation, would you? No, I, I didn't mean that because it's really hard for from jurors and assembly members who are coming to some complex issue that they don't know about to say it in advance. So that's why th that ability to call for new witnesses should be possible halfway through you know, when they've got to grips with the topic. Um, so they've said, okay, well, now we're starting to understand what this topic is all about. And uh, uh, as I said before, now we understand these aspects. We haven't heard any witnesses about those aspects. And so please, will you go and find them? Okay, so they, they do that. They, they get witnesses in some that have already been sort of you know, selected beforehand, some that come up as a result of people there saying that we'd like to get someone who could tell us about this or that. Um, then how is the decision reached? What's the process? What happens? What's different from council meeting, a committee meeting where they put their hands up and take a vote? What happens? Um, 
sometimes these these meetings will um, look for um, consensus. Um, so what is it we can all agree on? Um, actually, often they'll do that. Um, sometimes they'll take a vote, uh, and sometimes they won't. And um, on the whole, they would not be satisfied with a, a Brexit-type vote of sort of 52, 48, or, or half plus one. So um, they're usually looking for um, you know, what's known as a supermajority, a, a, a distinct preference for, for one option um, over another. And so um, uh, in the case of the British Columbia Citizens Assembly, um, you know, I think they went for um, single transferable vote as their recommendation to replace first past the post. But that was a recommendation that evolved very slowly um, over the 12 months that the Assembly men met. But by the end of it, um, first of all, there's a clear majority in favour of it. And secondly, even those, even the people who are against it uh, accepted it as the will of the Assembly because they'd seen the, the thoroughness of the process that the Assembly, assembly had been through. So, so the Assembly can also make a decision as it's doing it about how they will take their vote. Well, that's true. Um, that's perhaps um, less likely. I mean, I, th I think uh, on the whole, um, how, you, how the decision is taken would have been set beforehand. Uh, but I, I wonder if I could pick up another point, which is to what extent should it be possible for the Assembly members to change the question? So um, uh, I have an example half in mind, but um, there have been occasions, I think, where uh, the assembly members or the jury members in particular have said, no, you're, ask, uh, you're asking the wrong question. And then that, that's tricky because the council thinks it has an issue to deal with. And here is the assembly or the jury saying, no, actually start somewhere else. And so that's a tricky one for, for, for the council. And how is that resolved? <laughs> well, I mean, that's, I think that's probably horse trading. Um, uh, there was a very interesting example in um, Burnley a few years ago, where uh, a bloke called Tom Wakeford wanted to set up a jury on some subject that um, he didn't think would really interest uh, local people. So he said to them, would you come and take part in our jury on this topic that we've chosen? Wouldn't be your choice. But then we'll organise a second jury and you can choose the question. Okay, I just had a question come up saying, how many people do you think there should be on a citizen assembly? Should it be 10, 100, 5,000, a town meeting like in the, in, in the United States? How would you respond to that? Sure. Well, there are two different questions there. So um, a town meeting it's a form of public meeting. It's uh, a meeting that anyone who wants to can attend. It's not attended, not designed to be representative. And I think they have their place. So in the case of, of Wing in Buckinghamshire, personally, I would have had the citizens assembly to review the, the options for dealing with the, with the traffic that was coming through the village. And then I would have asked assembly members to present their findings at a public meeting, at a town meeting. So I would have had that sequence. If you are having a jury or a, an assembly, then there's the question. Then there's the question of how many people. So um, it partly depends on your budget. 
So uh, the uh, one in Ireland, the Assembly in Ireland, which looked at, about, I think, about six really complex questions. It wasn't just abortion, it was things like climate change as well. That ran over two years and it cost uh, one and a half million euros. So not many councils have got that sort of money. Um, but if you have, say, a jury of 12, you know, the legal model, then if you've got people from minorities, there are only going to be one or two of them, one of them, one of each probably, and that they will not speak, um, often they will not speak um, as much as you would like them to because, because they are such a small minority. So I think they, people have found that you need three or four people from various um, minorities if they're to speak. And that probably implies that ideally an assembly in, in the range of 30 to 50. I mean, there have been much larger ones. There have been the, the G1000 in, I think, Belgium. Uh, but, but 30 to 50 would be my recommendation. Okay. And um, someone's asked, you know, do you, when you have a public meeting, very often you get people who can who dominate it, who can take over. In a citizen assembly or jury, do you have someone like that who comes to the fore, either a natural leader or someone who just wants to dominate the thing? How do you deal with that? Um, when citizens' juries were uh, in vogue in the 1990s, um, a lot of them were run, run by a chap called Bob Sang, and he and his colleagues spent a lot of time, in effect, coaching the people who were less confident, um, encouraging them to have, have their say. Um, I've already mentioned that there are, I think it is harder for people to dominate. Um, what, what, first of all, it, these assemblies are usually run over at least two weekends. so. It's not like a two and a half hour public meeting where, where if you don't have your say now, you fear you'll never have your say. And so you've got to speak up and got to insist on being heard. So people, everyone knows that there will be plenty of time for each person to be heard. Secondly, as I said, lots of the time is spent in small groups. So why would you have a rant in a small group? Um, and thirdly, there are lots of processes in place, like a set of guidelines, a set of ground rules, um, agreed by the participants themselves at the start about listening as much as you talk, not seeking to convince other people, and which I think all discourage people from um, wanting to dominate, wanting to rant. Okay, and David Newman asked the question about how many people should be at a, an assembly. He said he, he, had a, he meant something rather different, and that is, you know, could you have, say, 600 people in a series of tables of 10 each linked with a computer and they are communicating with each other around different things. It's a bit like a, a hackathon, I guess. I mean, would you consider that to be a format for an assembly? Well, um, I rather suspect David knows more about these things than I do, but um, what he's describing is the, um, I've forgotten what they called it, but there was something in America called the, the Newtown Meeting. I haven't got the name quite right. And it worked exactly as you said, uh, with very large numbers. And what I think they found, or what observers thought, uh, I never saw one myself, was that the technology dominated and interfered with the deliberation, interfered with the quality of the deliberation because the facilitator was saying, sorry, everybody, you've got to agree what you think about so-and-so in the next three minutes so I can type it into the computer so that the results can be projected on the big screen. Is that a sort of generational thing? Do you think younger people would say that? Or would that be just a response of older people? Um, 
I think if the question is, so if the criterion, sorry, is, is the quality of the deliberation, and I think everybody would, would, would see uh, that, that that was the case in some of these uh, new town meetings, um, but um, some people would be happy, it's true that some people would be happy with technology, others not. Okay, well, I mean, there are other forms of deliberative uh, decision-making as well, aren't there? I mean, many councils, including one where I live, have award forums. And mm -hmm. often very few people turn up and they're all over a certain age. But some councils are experimenting with devolving budgets, giving budgets to those ward forums to be able to allocate resources. Is that a deliberative forum of the type that you would sort of approve of and would come into your category of deliberative democracy? Um, I'm sorry, sorry to say, Francis, it all depends. So um, you could have um, a forum like that where everybody was given, you know, came in, everyone was given six sticky dots, uh, the options were presented, and people cast their sticky dots. So that would be highly participative, but it would not be deliberative. People would not have talked through uh, the merits and disadvantages of each option uh, before they cast their votes. So... Um, it's really the theme of what I'm saying, it, it's all in the design. They can be deliberative, they certainly can, they often are. And um, uh, in the best examples, that they, they are, but it doesn't have to be. Okay, Evans asked a question, and, and I know, be careful with his language, he's, he's, he's very much in favor of doing democracy differ, uh, differently and having sortition and deliberative experiments, but he, he was sort of putting this to you, I think, for you to give an answer, and that is, if you had, say, someone uh, uh, who was fairly, very, very uneducated, left school very early, and in the same assembly, a racist taxi driver, how can they come to a better decision, a decision than two informed councillors on a council meeting? Do you mean how can they relate to each other better? I got a bit lost, Francis. Yeah, how do they relate to each other? Okay. And will their decision be as good as two councillors who have a lot of experience in making decisions? Uh, okay, so I think it's two questions really. So um, there was an another form of SINS assembly, which I haven't yet mentioned, is um, the deliberative poll invented by an American called James Fishkin. Uh, large numbers of people, I think up to 300, um, there was one on crime, uh, which Granada Television funded and filmed um, maybe 15 years ago. And I think at that, that particular deliberative poll, or in one of them, um, an older man um, was talking to a single mother, and he said, a family consists of a mother and father as well as the children. The deliberative poll you know, gave the opportunity for a lot of people to reflect on their values as, as well as the facts of the matter. And um, uh, at the end of the poll, um, he went up to her and he said, um, what is the best human quality? And he answered his own question. It's the ability to, to, um, to say when you're wrong and he changed his mind. And so um, the process had indeed improved the relationships between those two people. Oh, okay, no. sorry, do you wanna go on? Well, you had a, there's a separate question, really, which is which is an interesting one, which is about when should they be taking the decision and when should the councillors be taking the decision? So, leaving aside the representative nature of our current um, govern systems of governance and thinking about qualities, there are cases when 
you want to know what the what the population as a as a whole would think and that was very much the case in Ireland over abortion so the um, Sins Assembly was a microcosm, as I say, of the population at large. And so uh, if you have um, uh, an assembly, which is representative, and it happens to contain the two people you've mentioned, they both represent people like them uh, who are not in the room, then they they would be great at taking, they, they would be probably the best people to take this decision. It has a lot to do with legitimacy. Okay. Two questions before we finish, because we're pretty well near the end. First, I mean, it sounds like some of these are one-off things, the jury, the assembly, um, and most of the decisions is not, are not going to be taken. It's too expensive. How can you embed this deliberative democracy process in the way council do things so they're not just a one-off thing every six years, but it's a way in which they do things as their culture of doing it? Um, that's a uh, that's a terrific question. Um, um, well, it has to be part of the way things are done. So how does that happen? Well, and by the way, I think this is the reason why there were hundreds of citizens' juries done uh, in the UK in local government and the health sector in the 1990s, and then they disappeared. They were indeed too many one-offs. Um, I mean, it's, a, it's a shame that the citizens' panels that many local authorities used to have have, I think, largely disappeared because they were provided a way of, I think, recruiting a representative body more cheaply and more regularly. Um, one possibility is to have a standing body. So I, gave, I said that the Irish Assembly, which ran over two years and it looked at um, six major issues, so it wasn't just a one-off, although it wasn't permanent, and I believe that in, on the continent, there are uh, local and regional authorities that aim to set up permanent uh, citizens' assemblies. Um, there's also a proposal that local authorities should have a chief deliberation officer, which would um, uh, encourage things. I think what, worth a look is the province of Vorarlberg in uh, Austria, the westernmost province there, which has embedded um, with some, uh, another process, there are so many, uh, called a wisdom council um, in, their, in their way of doing things. But even they haven't resolved the tensions between um, this form of democracy and representative democracy. Okay. Well, this is obviously going to be an ongoing discussion and an ongoing debate. There's going to be a lot of pilots, a lot of experiments, but it is terribly important, to, I think, to actually look at new ways of doing democracy and getting away from the sort of theatre of the absurd, which very often our democracy seems to like to display sometimes. Anyhow, let me ask you finally, if people are interested in finding out more about this, how can, where do they go? How do they get in touch with you, for example? Um, if, I, if I can um, talk about what I do briefly, so which is, is different from all of this. So we, and this is my small organization, Talkshop, we provide discussion kits that allow people to organize discussions of these complex issues wherever they like. Come in a, in a public meeting, they can do it at home. And so um, talkshopuk.org um, will find us uh, and me. I think for the methods, um, 
there's a website called Participedia, the participation version of Wikipedia, that has a good description of citizens' assemblies and juries. Um, I can send you a list of um, the main assemblies I referred to, Francis, so that we could um, put links to those up. Um, Involve um, is the main organization in the UK that um, supports assemblies. Uh, they supported the assembly uh, on the funding of social care. Um, well, that's to get started. Okay. All right. Well, that, that's, that's all really very, very interesting. And we, we could have gone on with the discussion. I mean, Peter Pelton has talked about Frome, where they've had flat pack democracy, and we've already done a webinar on that. Evans come up with a revolutionary idea of why don't we get rid of the House of Commons and make it a permanent citizen assembly. Um, sure. That's a debate we could have. But, um, you know, I think you sort of whetted the interest of, of a lot of people, I hope, in looking at new ways of doing things, new ways of engaging the communities so they can make decisions not by confrontation but by dialogue so that's been useful and I think if you can uh, you know send us some of those links we'll put them up on our Facebook page and, 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 and website and so on sure. so people can see them so thank you very much Perry you know mm -hmm. for doing this and for going through these ideas so thank you I think it's been really great and for those interested in setting up an experiment in deliberative democracy like many local authorities and others, for example, are looking how to do it in climate change. I think listening to Perry will give you some ideas and some inspiration. So thank you, and we'll end this podcast now. Mm -hmm.